Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am Phil Svitek, joined alongside Marissa Serafini. And this is our very first show uh, for this. It is not our very first show ever together. Marissa and I have hosted many of things. We, uh, just to summarize it very quickly, we are people who love movies. We love creating content and art, and we love books. And so we've done a lot of shows about movies, and we've done a lot of shows about books. And now we're finally uh, back and talking about books. And as the title of this episode implies, we are going to be talking about The Poppy War by Rebecca F. Kwan. And yeah, I, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll dig into it. We'll give you some background info about how it all came to be, what the book's about, um, kind of do some non-spoilery stuff. But then like any other sort of book club, we're going to get into the nitty gritty fairly fast. And so we invite you, if you haven't read the book, to, to read it and then join us um, at the end of the episode. We'll also let you know what book we're going to be reading next month. And we're going to, you know, essentially continue this, uh, this book club train digitally. So it's going to be a lot of fun. And, you know, we, we, uh, we want to start a community and as much as like anybody else in the online space. So if there's stuff that you think we should be reading, um, you know, let us know. But obviously we encourage your participation for what we're reading as well. So, um, but without further ado, Marissa, I will allow you to introduce yourself and give some quick thoughts on Poppy War. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm Marissa Serafini, like Phil said, and not to repeat everything he he just, you know, reiterated, but um, yeah, love reading. And I was like, you know what? We should start doing our, our book discussions yet again. And of course, uh, as one would, um, I had my reading list and you had yours and uh, you suggested the pop tour. I have actually never heard of it. Um, got it the very next day. And I was like, all right, let's go into it. Reading it, very easy to read, um, despite it being a fairly lengthy book, but it was very, um, it flowed very well. It was easy to understand. Um, it was from a young woman's perspective, which I personally connected to. And I liked seeing the journey. When you read the book, it's literally split into three different acts. So if for whatever reason in the future, someone wants to adapt this into a movie, I'd be all for it. I really, I really enjoyed this book. Well, I have a new rule. I think books should be adapted as TV shows. Uh-huh, yeah. More time to yeah. Yeah, and breathe and build the world of the books. I can see Absolutely. that. Um, now that said, yes. Yeah, so for me, just a little bit of background. I, you know, I've been trying to expand into new authors, um, authors that uh, aren't just white men in general and the classics. You know, just just more uh, stuff that can be regarded as good. And um, yeah, this this came as, as a great sci-fi book, and I was like, all right, let me let me check it out. This seems fun. Now, I knew it was part of a trilogy, uh, and, you know, I have not read the rest of the books. I, Marissa, you haven't either. Um, so we're only going to be talking about this as a standalone piece in and of itself. But, but yeah, like you, I enjoyed it. I thought, you know, it's about 500 pages, give or take, but it, you don't really notice it. Like, you're just flowing through it. It's very easy, engaging writing, you know, and I, I, I certainly appreciate that. And she's only... I believe right now she's only 25, which is incredible to me. Amazing. <laughs> you know, to have that, like when we talk about like she, a trilogy, she has finished the trilogy. The trilogy is done. There's, there's the Poppy War, the Dragon Republic, and then the Burning God. 
So you can now go finish the whole trilogy and, you know, know what happens, but that that's insane. Like a, basically a book a year. That's uh, that's, that's some high velocity output. Right. And I believe there's a, like an in-between kind of book as well. That's kind of like a companion, the drowning faith, which is from Neza's point of view. Mm-hmm. So if you want to keep delving into the world and get a different perspective than Rin's main perspective, and you can also read that one as well. Yeah. And the book itself. So it, it, while it is a fantasy book, uh, it is heavily influenced on a, her upbringing, B her studies, right? So she studies Chinese history um, and, you know, politics and philosophy and stuff like that. And, you know, I think it's, uh, definitely evidenced through the book, right? I mean, you and I are certainly not scholars <laughs> of of this, but you can kind of get a sense of who U.S. was, who Japan was, and who China was, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And you can understand the influences of past wars and just how people view each other from different provinces and and their upbringing, like, um, you know, the, their, the whole class and caste system, it is definitely evident in this book and i love how this book points out all those um discriminations and prejudices that people have against each other but when you keep fighting and overcome and stuff at the end of the day people do still come together despite all that and i I think this book really shows that um very well yeah and the other aspect that i appreciate too was um it doesn't mince about it in terms of uh, like there's basically not really a good side, right? There's not even necessarily technically a good character. Like everyone just plays in such gray areas. And I appreciate that about it because I didn't want it to just be, uh, you know, like pro China, pro Japan or pro US, like, you know, in, in the real world, all three have done good things and all three have done terrible things. Yeah, right. And I liked how the book, wasn't afraid to go there. Like, that was a big plus for me. Right. And the book also, I mean, not to get ahead and stuff, but we do see moments where different characters um, do snap judgments of other people, but also when the, the book also goes into a deeper explanation of why a person is the way that they are. This is how they were raised. This is what they went through. So you can't judge them for this. And like, the decisions you just made, we have to question like why you made that compared to this. So it's like, it's not just one, it's not black and white in, in that sense. There's a, there's a lot of gray and there's a lot of um, reasoning and understanding behind people's decisions and the actions and all the consequences that they have to deal with afterwards. Yeah. And, you know, overall, like it starts off pretty simple where, you know, for the most part, I thought, and this we will start to get into the spoilery stuff at this point. So, you know, handcuffs off. I thought it was going to be one of those things, um, you know, like like the movies that you see with the one, right? Where the, here's this here's this character named Rin, and all of a sudden she possesses like this incredible power, right? And it's like she's going to be the savior. And I thought it was going to be one of those. And what I appreciated was that it wasn't. Um, you know, a for the simple fact, like even from the get go, you understand that anything that's kind of come to her through life, she works insanely hard at, you know, and for better or worse. And, and I appreciated that, that it wasn't just like, oh, you are the you are the one, you know, Harry or, you know, Neo from the <laughs> Matrix or whatever else, you know. So right. I, 
I no, sorry to cut you off. But no, I completely agree because this book definitely shows it doesn't matter where you come from. Um, but like through hard work, perseverance, and dedication, um, it, it shows that someone's the, the work that you put into it, you actually can get the results and um, you know, the good things come out of it. And this is a journey of someone who definitely did not have the world handed to her. She she was not born with a silver spoon up her ass. And she worked hard for everything. And so when you're watching her journey and her doing every single action and decision, you know, like you're rooting for her because you know where she came from. Absolutely. And, you know, um, that's why it's so gripping. You know, I I just wanted to jump to this part because it just makes sense in, in the moment. Um, you know, by the end, right, she the point is for her to go call the Phoenix and the God. And you know, she says, basically, like, it's my destiny to do this. And the Phoenix, like, no, you have no destiny. There is no destiny. It's you made all these choices. And I appreciate that aspect of it, that that just out of it just goes so against the convention of all this stuff of what is your destiny and you're meant to do this. Like, no, you're not. And it is all just human choices. And and and, because especially like, throughout the book, it's all about like how, you know, dangerous the gods can be. And I appreciate that. Like none of this has to do with the gods. It's all humans just doing shit to each other. Right. And uh, I definitely love that because near the end, when we had that conversation where there's like, no, always themselves. And then when they fail and there's war and destruction and all that at the end, then they blame someone else because they can't take responsibility for their actions. I was like, yeah, that that is that rings true for everybody who has ever gone through war or just personal suffering in and of itself is where it's so bad that they can't um reflect that hey maybe we were the issue and not someone else yeah absolutely and so there's a lot of characters throughout the book and you know some come back and some don't but um what were the standout ones for you because there's definitely a lot um definitely alton Um, Because the way that they built him up in the first um, third of the book, the first act, so to speak, is that he was just this mysterious warrior who was so good, undefeatable, Um, like his reputation preceded him that he was just the best fighter. No one could could be him. And but uh, after knowing all that, there's always that sense of wonder, like, why? There's got to be a reason behind it. But then when you watch him come back as a commander now and he's just different different type of characteristic that you saw when they first built and established his character and how he changes throughout the third act um he had a different i don't want to say character arc but it was definitely up and down up and down with him but his journey was very interesting and I felt for him at the end. I, I really did feel for him. So he he became a bigger character than I thought he was going to be. I always felt like he was going to be a big character, um, but it is fascinating, right? Um, It takes that notion of be careful of meeting your heroes and really puts at the forefront because, yeah, he has so many good qualities, but then the closer Rin gets to him, the veneer is shattered and and you understand why and and so forth, um, why he is the way that he is. And it it is so tragic in, in all the ways. And yet in spite of that, like, if anything, he was supposed to be the cautionary tale for Rin, and she didn't take it. No, exactly. And while I was reading the book, I was like, 
okay, so Ren is just the female counterpart of him, basically. Mm-hmm. That she is Alton, but just in female form. And uh, I got to admit, maybe this is just the romantic side of me. I thought maybe at one point they might have gotten together. I was like, ooh, the, the, I could see them together. They definitely have a lot of, you know, commonalities when it came to them being spiritlies and, and just the power and being warriors in and, of it of, in and of itself. But then I'm like, this is war. This would probably be messy if you throw romance also into the destruction and battles that they're currently fighting. I was like, eh, romance is kind of not even a thing in this book, which I had to like quickly uh, understand and accept. Um, but seeing the relationship, it, it was started off um, pretty simple, I guess, like more acquaintances, but as they got to know each other, as they got to work with each other, they, on some level, you can see there, there was a level of respect towards each other, despite their differences in how they approach the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, their, their love was deeper than just a romance. It was, uh, it, it was for a shared commonality that essentially their entire race was wiped out and they're the last two people left. Right. And I like how it does kind of grapple with that. I mean, there's that moment where uh, Rin basically thinks to herself, like, is he going to kiss me? And he just basically hugged her and like kissed her on her uh, forehead. Right. Um, which I thought, like, I, I appreciated that aspect of it, you know, um, that it was all that. Um, I, I liked it because that was, yes, it was an intimate moment, but that you don't need a kiss to connect on a certain level. And and I liked that because, especially after everything those two had just gone through, um, that was that finally came to a moment where they completely respected each other and trusted each other. Yeah. One of the things that interestingly didn't come back, um, and maybe it will in the other books, I don't know, but because essentially Rin had, you know, in order to get rid of her periods, right, she can't have kids. And so um, obviously in that sense, like even if the notion of them getting together to continue the line of, of their heritage, that's off the table. Um, and so it's fascinating how, um, not that I needed it to, I mean, there was so much that book was tackling with, but like you had that aspect of it that like that, that she made that choice and she made it a choice for, um, Nikara, which then essentially were responsible for wiping her out, her people. Um, so she had that to grapple with. Um, and then also just, I do think there are aspects of like sex in general is obviously, portrayed in a very dichot, you know, uh, way, certainly with the, um, uh, with essentially what is like the raping of Nanking, where um, there's that moment where it's described in pretty horrific detail of like, this, you know, rape and what one of her friends from the Academy, I believe it's Venka, right? What Venka what, went through. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's terrible how, what the women are put through in this book and being a woman reading what the women are going through it was like I and I felt for it as well because um the problem with Rin giving up her you know her womb that was a conscious choice and I don't know if that you know you guys can tell us but if that is a decision that she eventually faces and regrets in the second or third book maybe that it does come back it didn't come back in this one but maybe it does come back in the in the later books that she if she does want to start a family she she's gonna regret that and she's young that was a very very 
impulsive decision. And I was like, oh, girl, um, that's going to kick you. And uh, so we'll see. But the problem with that is like that was a conscious choice. And Venka's wasn't. She was tortured by horrific men. And so there, there's just like all these things that are happening to the women's body. It's just tragic in the ways that some are forced and some are not. And um, yeah, it's just, and, and I think it's just a casualty. It's is going to sound reductive too, but casualty of war, it, that happens. Um, it's not just the Chinese culture, but just like how people are treated. Um, they're not human anymore. They're just treated as things and they're torn apart like things. And that's what they did to Venka. And yes, she was a terrible character when they were at the academy together. You know, I think it's just common females against females, alpha females, especially against alpha females. And um, and not to say it is karma, but because no one deserves what Venka went through. Um, but it, it, it's, it's terrible that it, it took something tragic for those two to finally... Um, start seeing each other and start getting along yeah yeah I mean that that was definitely um, a very gripping moment and um, it's one of those that's when like certainly Ren starts slipping into where she otherized uh, basically the the federation right where she no longer because there is that point where um, in the seaport town they're fighting and she's like these people look like me or I think it might have been in Sinagar when when the first like attack is happening. I forget exactly when, mm-hmm. but she's like, these people look like me, you know. In fact, I think she says like they look more like me than than the what my people are supposed to look like. Yeah. Um, and so I found that fascinating. And then at that moment afterwards, you know, the 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 switch is basically flipped, and she is like doesn't view the other people as humans, um, which leads to when she draws upon the phoenix. You know, the, the, there's that very specific passage of like children uh, sleeping innocently in bed and boom, just the fire erupts. Right. And you can see throughout this book, the the conscious choices of losing one's humanity. You saw Rin give her her room. That was a conscious choice. You're seeing her um, accept the Phoenix's power that was a choice, but like slowly with every decision, she's losing more and more of herself. And with every decision that she's affecting other people, she's starting, you can see her perspective on people changing from humans to non-humans to things to like, you see this evolution of how she sees the world. And it's kind of like a downward spiral. And she's, she's slowly losing herself from her humanity. And I don't want to say sociopath, but she's she's getting on to that point where she she is devoid of human emotion. She is just a thing now. Yeah. And and, and it's t- like like you said, I mean, it's it's a byproduct of the reality because, I mean, you know, I think it's reflective of our world today. There's so many ways to just divide. Right. Like even even within Nicara, you have the 12 provinces. Right. So then you have the 12 armies. But, oh, the uh, the abnormal people, they're in the psych because they're weird and OK, but we need something to do with them. So they're there. Oh, and if that wasn't enough, there's guys, girls. Oh, and um, there's, you know, there's the people from the north. There's people from the south, obviously classism and, you know, light skin, dark skin. So it's like it's just you're creating all these like 
things, then like you hope that there's like some small part of this like insane Venn diagram that like you find commonality. And of course, the point is that there's so much commonality, but yet we've created this entire division. And so, you know, of course, like Rin is going to be a byproduct of this. And and sadly, um, I want to talk about Jin. I, I hope that's how you say his name, her, her master, um, who is also the gatekeeper, correct? Like it's yeah. never explicitly stated. And yet it's like as close you can get to it without it. Ex- so I just wanted to like, always- yes, no, there, there was a moment they're like, so it, it has been you this entire time. <laughs> um, and we should have seen it. Didn't see it coming, but we should have seen it. <laughs> um, I liked him because yes, at, at first you can be frustrated with, frustrated with him because he's so vague in everything he does and everything he teaches Ren from the start. And she's just trying to understand the world of lore and the culture and the reason why she has these abilities. And he's not giving her clear answers. And then as she's starting to learn more and more and more, and then he's like, okay, now you understand. But it's like, he gives some, some little things to understand on some level, but not the whole entire picture, which is very frustrating. But when you understand why he was so secretive because he's the gatekeeper like oh you were making sure that she's not going to destroy the world (laughs) um so i understand the vagueness in that but also it would have been so much easier if you were just clear and straight up from the beginning i think there's a but yeah i think there's that aspect but i also think you know there's that side of it where people just within education always want the simple answer and he didn't want to provide her with he wanted her to know how to get the answer regardless, right? Like he was teaching her essentially how to fish instead of giving her a fish. And right. certainly the aspect where it paid off was in the tournament, um, you know, the, the first year tournament where all of Jun's students were taught in the same exact manner and she could just beat them because she knew exactly their technique and she knew a reversal essentially. Yeah. So the, the counter, the counter act to it. And I actually, I got to say, I did enjoy reading that because I am a martial artist myself. I do train. Um, So to see her and how she saw the world, even though she didn't have like proper, quote unquote, training, physical training, like all the others that have been like reared since since birth and had all this, you know, family ties to the militia and all that. Um, I liked how it doesn't matter where you come from, family and genetics or what have you. It's like if you study and if you condition yourself, you can still be just as great as of a fighter, if not better. And I and that's I, I enjoyed that physical journey that we also, you know, the, the writer also took us through, like carrying a pig up a mountain every day. Who wants to do that? Um, but it, it's things like that, the, the conditioning that really builds you as a warrior. Yeah. And also, you know, like with sports, it's a metaphor. I mean, I, you know, fighting is a sport technically. So, um, you know, it's a metaphor for life. And so it just shows that like, yeah, you need diversity of thought, right. In general as well, rather than just the sameness. So, so it advocates for that. Um, and the other aspect of it that I, you know, wasn't necessarily over, but um, I did appreciate was this idea of Confu- like Confucianism essentially is all about order and structure and, you know, who's my commander and things like just being proper. And um, 
I did actually appreciate that aspect of it. Um, but the problem, like what's interesting to me, Confucianism, the reason why um, the underpinning of that philosophy is for the moral good of, you know, society, right? And unfortunately, when everyone's essentially corrupt, that's, I mean, I, that's how I would categorize it by the end you learn is everyone's just heinous. You, none of like following those sort of orders and regimented things really matter, you know? And it didn't matter because I think it's just that school structure that we're all forced to deal with when we go to school, you know, it's very institutionalized in that way. So I understand when you have like young teenagers just trying to learn, you, you have to have some structure and it is sign guard was, was basically a military school, <laughs> Um, but like once you're actually out in the war, structure goes out the window. Um, you can still have those foundations and stuff. But well, and I think there was a moment where I forget exactly who it was. But when she was finally put into psych and she was like starting to bond with her fellow comrades, they're like, forget everything you learned at school. It's not going to help you because this is war. Like it, at the end of the day, you don't need to you know, be on class at this time, or you don't have to think this way. So long as you fight and survive every day, that's all that matters. I believe it was Kara who said it to her. Yeah. Because uh, I think apart from Kara, everyone else was a guy, correct? Yes. Yeah. Um, so while we're on the subject, let's, let's talk about, because, you know, she's one of the twins, uh, her brother, um, Chagin, uh, um, you know, we don't see him for most of the novel, um, but then he comes back and, and he has that bond uh, with uh, Kara. And, and essentially he puts Rin in her place for the most part. They like throughout the entire book, they, they just they're going head to head. And, um, you know, he tell it's, it's interesting because at first he tells her follow at um, Alton. And then she does, and then obviously disagrees with Alton and, you know, the reverse happens. So they essentially switch. <laughs> I found right. that fascinating. And the thing with, however you pronounce his name, is Shagan, Shagan. Um, I, I kept reading it as Shagan. <laughs> um, but like he, he comes in later into the book, but he's one of those characters who comes in and only says what he needs to say, but everything he says is important. It's like you cannot take his words with a grain of salt. Like he actually adds value to everything. Um, and he he was the one who always questioned Rin and always questioned um, Alton and put them in their spots when they needed to. He was the he was the the voice of reason for both of those two who who kept like again losing their humanity, and Shigan was the one who was keeping them in check. So, like, I appreciate what he added. Um, and he helped Rin at the end of the day. He helped her see the vision and understand what exactly they were going through. And he was the one who revealed that they were taking um, the, the mountain pass. Like, so everything he, he said, he added something. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I like that she did grapple with that aspect because she's like, you know, yeah, your visions mean shit it's only in hindsight that they actually have any value. And he's like, well, what, whether you believe that or not, I did warn you not to do this. Yeah. So, um, and yeah, that, that was a hard thing for her to grapple with. 
Um, let's talk about some of the classmates. Uh, obviously, the the two ones that really stand out is Kate and um, Neza. Yeah, those are um, you know friend friend and foe. But even with even with Kate, the big thing was he never under you know he's so logical, right? He's like I don't know, call him the atheist of the book. He never believed in the gods, you know, right. until well, it was. I think Tay was a guy who just didn't drink the (laughs) Kool-Aid. So I appreciate him in that way. Like he was very aware of the world that he grew in and um, he, he knew his Royal status, but he also understood the, um, the struggles that Rin was going through. Like he he was just the person who just got it, you know, and um, he didn't let that bring him down or really affect him in, in that way. He's like, you know what? Everything's bullshit. Sorry, I'm cursing, but he, he's that kind of person. He's like, yeah, it is what it is. What can you do about it? You know, and he, he didn't let it bother him in that way. So I appreciate that. Like he understood and he was very aware of the world. Um, and I loved that she Rin needed a friend. And because when she first went to the school, you could tell like she was so lonely. She was so out of place, stuck out like a sore thumb. So to have an actual genuine confidant um i appreciated kate in that sense yeah and not once did he sort of waver through that because i mean certainly it didn't help his reputation you know so yeah. that's that's a bold choice to 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 go after um and i did like how neza um kind of evolved throughout the book you know that that uh, nemesis who ends up being somewhat of a uh, Nemesis to rival, I would say. They, I don't think they ever were like true friends. No, but near the end, you like Neza kept getting injured. I was like, dude, man, how great of a fighter are you really? I was like, she kicked your ass at school and now you're getting impaled and getting knocked out on the battlefield like twice. I was like, how, how great of a fighter are you really? But um, and I think it really in that physical sense in literal sense is that like he, he, he had to get knocked down a few times to, to be humbled. And, and I think that's what happened to him and hit that conversation where those two finally, where he finally realized like, no, you were better than me. You always were. Um, and it, that he, he had to take a, a bite of the humble pie. He, and, and I think once they finally understood that and he acknowledged um, they, they started finally like seeing each other as they, they could actually be good friends throughout this. Yeah. One of the, I'm, I'm curious to know, this is all speculative. Um, and maybe it's, I, I predict it could be answered in two and three, but there was the mention of how quickly he recovered after Synagogue, right? Um, and I thought, I was like, hmm, does he have some uh, hints of shamanism in, in, within him? Like, what's going on here? Oh, yeah. I mean, or some people are just fast healers. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and I I think that they said it was a very, very clean sword, uh, clean slice through no vital organs were hit. So maybe just he's young. (laughs) He heals quickly. Um, But he's that Wolverine. (laughs) Yeah, basically. (laughs) Um, And sometimes people just do. And but I, I like the fact that like it shows that he's not the best fighter. So the fact that he's still alive after all of this, I was like, all right, you're still here, you're still fighting. Good for you, man. Yeah, yeah, no, I I, I appreciate him, but he was a fascinating character. The one um for me that I was sad to see like 
come and go was the tutor. Yeah. I thought, you know, he, he's, uh, he's so, not that he's helpful, but like, you know, he does get her out of the shit life that she was going to have. And he, he, you know, he drives her to there and then they say goodbye and that's it. Yeah. And like, I like that because I think if it wasn't for the people that Rin had in her life to keep her going or to just get her started, she would not obviously be there where she was. Like she had a friend um, in an ally at like the, the most important parts of her life. Um, the tutor helped her get to Senegard. And then she had her, um, then Zhang helped her during that. And now then when she left the school, it became Alton. So like her confidence and her, her allies kept switching um, throughout the process of the book. Um, but I, I hope I'd like to see him come back. You know, what's interesting as you talk about that, um, all of her like mentors, you know, if, if from one perspective are all druggies yeah because he was you know he was he was doing opium that's how she got him on on board um her master was with opium <laughs> yeah uh, you know her uh you know her master was always high and then all all um, was was high you know most of the time towards the end so it's it's very fascinating how that's a through line right and i think is it it just shows the environment that they are in, like how powerful opium can be. And also on the flip side, how destructive it can be and, and the, the way that they used it, um, especially when it came to Alton's character, how he used it as a coping mechanism, but it first started off as a torturing mechanism. And so you, you see the different purposes of the opium throughout the book and the different uses of why it's such a through line. Yeah, and, and that's the tough part, right? And obviously, in many ways, that could be quite relatable, you know, going on junior pandemic and potentially with, you know, some people saying well, potential World War Three, you know, it's like, you can understand some, co- you know, whether it's, you know, alcohol or other drugs, it's like, yeah, sometimes right. you just want to shut the he- the voice up in the head. Yeah, um, it becomes vices and it, it becomes use, you know, weapons of like, just just a- keep your uh keep your country going especially in this you know book they they mentioned that they they were given well the country was given opium as basically a gift and yeah. a, a sign of peace i'm like mm, it, it really depends on how you use it yeah and you know the other aspect to um that's tangential to all of this is um kind of just how history is formed in all these places, right? Because when she goes to uh, the academy, you know, and within history class, right? Um, she shoots up her hand like she knows the answers because she feels confident. And it's like, oh, that's what they teach the, the, the commoners as was history. Like that's not actual history. And so it's just the, I don't know, call it the information gap, if you will, you know? Um, I thought that was a fascinating aspect to include. Right. Or you see how different cultures are catered to the history that's unbiased opinion. <laughs> like, I can't imagine um, what I do, like, you bring it up, it, it is war, but like, you, you know, World War II. And I'm just curious how the Germans teach their kids and teach the, their students and children what happened during the World War II. 
um, like from their perspective. It was like it's from like any any different country's perspective how they teach their children what really happened. And like, yeah, people are gonna leave out the gruesome details because maybe they're ashamed of what they really did. You know, it's it. And so for Rin, of course, she wasn't she didn't have that education, so she's learning as she's going, and she she's she's gonna have gaps. Um, educational gaps because that wasn't provided to her. So I think I, I felt for her in that moment because that was just her just being a general student, just trying to learn. Yeah, but and but but that's the fascinating part. Even the history that they're being taught there, in many ways, um, also has some gaps and is speculative, right? You know, because um, certainly just within strategy class or whatever it was. They're trying to figure out, okay, why why was this measure taken? Because no one really knows. And certainly, like you look, um, uh, uh, Tirza, right, the leader of of Spreely, you know, no one knew why she did what she ultimately did. Right. You know, and that I mean, ultimately, that was Rin's journey to figure that out. And the choice was simple; like the cost was too great for that, where it wasn't for Rin. Right, and the thing that we're we're always getting with book is that we're always hearing or seeing the outcome. We're not, we're not actually seeing the beginning decisions or what caused it. We're always seeing the, the aftermath. And, yeah. and that's Rin's journey throughout this book. And she's trying to find the answers. She's trying to find out why things are the way they are and how they came to be um, not just the result. And uh, I, I like that because it, it now, definitely set her up for the second and third book like now she has a journey she has a purpose of what she's going to do now with her car uh, yeah i mean that, that so yeah where, where do you think it goes like obviously it's all speculative and could be very easily answered by like even just a quick wikipedia read but um <laughs> it's a very interesting journey to me because i don't you know where where she's left off here um my heart breaks for Rin, but I don't love her anymore. You know, like she is for all intents and purposes, a villain. Well, <laughs> you know? she, she is a completely different character than the Rin we first read from the page one. Um, and, and again, it goes with the journey that she, she's not herself anymore. And I think it's, it, we're, we're near that part where is she too far gone now or is she, can she still be saved? Because it is so early on and this journey for her um so what's interesting though like when you say that right the beginning because she always used pain as a motivation right when she when she was studying for that test she would like physically abuse herself to stay up so she always had that element of as a driving force right pain um but also again with the perspectives like is she now going after the empress out of revenge or justice depends on how you see it and how you look at it. Um, and, and that's where I'm actually very curious to read the second and third book to see how she approaches it or what's the reasoning behind there. There's one, there's a way to stop someone from what they're doing, but the reason behind it is a whole nother thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the, the way I understood the ending, it felt like a, not literally like I'm not saying this as a negative, but like it felt like a villain mustache twirl of like, wait, so I'm in charge of the psych and they can do whatever I call them to do. They, <laughs> they <can't laughs> like, yeah. yeah. 
Ha-ha. Um, yeah. Oh, that's interesting how you read it. Because you see, again, different perspectives. Because when I read it and she was thinking it to herself, I, I saw it more as like she was, she had to say it again to process that like, oh, I am now in a position of power. Like she had to convince herself like, oh, this is where we are now. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah i saw it as like she had to she was kind of like in denial and now she had to like actually accept the fact that like oh now i'm the person that everyone follows interesting Dang. there <laughs> look at that two completely <laughs> perspectives on the ending yeah um interesting um what else and that's I, why we're talking about this book <laughs> indeed we we've kind of touched upon a lot of it um one of the, I guess one of the things we haven't touched upon. So there's 64 gods, but really we only ever discuss one, which is the Phoenix. Um, yeah. And I just wanted to get your thoughts. I mean, we do get, I guess there's the God of wind, mm-hmm. um, which is the uh, Phelan who's out and about doing God knows what. <laughs> right. And Literally. There are different animals. Like one, one turns into a, an ape. One turns into some other type of, creature um like what was it like horse there's a horse power of some sort something yeah like I, I forget like like again because because there, i mean the fact that there were 64 and but yeah really all the only the phoenix is made heavily explicit as like the god right and i think like the phoenix was definitely highlighted more because it wasn't just one person it was two people channeling the phoenix so it, it was definitely at the forefront of everything and I think just maybe with past culture of, you know, media and or what have you, we know Phoenix character. I, I kept thinking X-Men, you know, Phoenix is like by far the far, the, the most strongest character out of all the X-Men, but we know how destructive it can be. And we know just the, the metaphor of fire that it can be life, but it can also be death at the same time. It's, it's how you control it. It's such a beautiful, uncontrollable power and how they kept relating that with the Phoenix and how it's channeled through Alton in one way and how it's channeled through Rin in a different way. And the reason is how they call upon the power um, for the different purposes that they need. Um, there, there are multiple ways to, for, for the Phoenix to act. And I, I liked seeing the different sides of it. Yeah, and I think this is a spec, but, but let me know what you think of this theory. Um, maybe the rest of the gods weren't as highlighted because, as her master says, like, you know, uh, things are out of balance, right? You need balance with the gods. And certainly, if you're just going to be drawing upon the phoenix, then <laughs> there's 63 other gods not being utilized, essentially. And that is very off balance. Right. But also because we haven't really had highlights of the other gods i think we really had to establish the phoenix in this book for obvious reasons but maybe they are highlighted more in the, the second and third maybe i we imagine so see. yeah i'd hope so it's like the phoenix can't be the only one working <laughs> there yeah. are 64 others or like 63 others like we got to see them in action too but i think it's for the power that they needed at that moment to take out an entire country they needed the power of the Phoenix and not the power of the other gods of which they can conjure up. Yeah. And it's just so fascinating. Like, I think she does an amazing job of the world building. And I love how, like, she explained how all this came to be. But then there's the selfish part of me of like, 
where's my uh, Greek history lesson version of this? Like, give me, give me, give me everything I need to know. It, like, is there a Zeus? Like, he's the king of the god. Like, what's going on here? Are they all equals? What? Like, <laughs> you know, who's friends with who? Who doesn't? Who dislikes who? Exactly. Like, it, 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 you know, because there is that side of it. Like, it does feel like you know the Greek or the Roman gods were like the you know one's pissed off at another, and they're just all you know, using humans as pawns, but then the Phoenix, of course, says that's not actually the case. Well, definitely. It, it definitely takes upon the Greek mythology because, I mean, you have the freaking pantheon. <laughs> I mean, like, they had a place where all the gods lived, just like Olympus, where all the, the Greek gods lived. So, like, you, you can definitely tell where she pulled those references from, and um, it, 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 I, I liked how that she established that there are just more than just the Phoenix. Um, because that definitely opens the doors to seeing the powers of all the others. Yeah. And uh, hopefully that they come into play, maybe for the for the other battles that they need. I mean, I imagine, I mean, you got the Dragon Republic, which I, I know is one of the republics, but I imagine there might be a dragon. Um, not to, dragons have a lot to do in Chinese culture. So, you know, and then, and then the third book is called Burning God. So I imagine that's another reference to the Phoenix, but could be something else who knows um anything else that we haven't touched upon i mean i know we've kind of gone every which way but um but i think for the most part we did at least touch upon most of the important stuff right um i really liked the just the the characters and how they um they were established one way and then they basically you can say they kind of had a second chance or a second revisit when they came back into Rin's life, serving different purposes or acting differently. Um, I appreciate that because a lot of people only come into your life once and they serve their purpose. But then when, you know, when we saw Neza come back, when we saw Venka come back, um, like these people are coming back into our lives in completely different ways. And you can think Rin be like, you know, hold her. Her judge or her grudges against them but because of the war it, there's like no time to hold past you know indifferences towards them and she she's more willing to be forgiving which was kind of surprising but i also enjoyed that so that that makes me think that like there's still humanity in her she's right now she's angered we know she's an impulsive person so maybe her de- declaration against of war against the empress is just another moment of just her being angry yeah to borrow from teenage mutant ninja turtles anger um yeah anger clouds the mind uh turned inward it is unconquerable enemy yeah so we shall see we shall see exactly um well this book is highly highly uh received well um it has won many many awards it was a finalist for the nebula locus um award uh the world fantasy the british fantasy um and listen for a first time debut author uh which is redundant of course but (laughs) you know i mean listen i like if this was my first novel i'd be psyched like i mean i know this is a great novel i'm gonna pass this book on to my mom yeah um which is a good point. If anybody, I'm I'm going to do this with my books. If uh, if anybody out there wants my copy of the book, 
comment down below or hit me up on social media at Phil Svitek and I will be giving away, you know, I, I don't have many copies to give. I only have the one, but I will be giving away the various books that, that I actually own. But speaking of, um, so for, for the month of April, we will be doing The Invisible Woman, yes. which, um, which is about World War II. So we, we're, we're doing a theme here of like war. <laughs> And um, this is uh, less speculative fiction and more like, um, you know, actual historical events. So, um, so there's, there's that. And um, yeah, so The Invisible Woman by Erica Roebuck. Yes. That is, that is, so you got a month to read it or forever, you know, whatever you want. Um, also, speaking of my giveaways, I have a diamond age, so I figured I'd offer that up to people. By Neil Stevenson. So if you want it, let me know. <laughs> I, I have so many books. If I open my cabinet, they would all just tumble out right now. So um, awesome. Well, uh, no. Final thoughts as uh, as we wrap out and give our uh, give our stuff. Um, such an easy read. Uh, I love the characters and like she does a great job of establishing characters and establishing a world and now finishing it i was like oh crap now i gotta read the second and third but that's what you want to do that that is the the work of a good author and writer is that you want more and she definitely left me wanting more or now like because we got a lot of answers but um we didn't get the whole picture of everything because now we know that there's like a whole nother mission that rin is now on with this newfound power we're like um what is she gonna do with it i want to see so I want to see. So it's a really, yeah, too. really good read. Me too. I'm, you know, and obviously the only di- reason we're not is because um, that would dedicate three months to just one author. And we want to uh, try to get to as many different books as we can. And I mean, even within a one year, we're only covering 12 books. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're doing the best we can. We're so, busy people. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, so we have that. Uh, go ahead, uh, shout out all the exciting stuff that you're doing, what you want people to go see in terms of what you've been up to, all that jazz. Yeah, I'm just doing uh, a lot of work. I work for you know City of Beverly Hills, so I'm do- just doing that, being a video producer in and of itself, reading when I can, martial arts when I can. I do train in Krav Maga. Um, so and you can see me post some fun stuff about that too but you can follow me everywhere at serafini tv s-e-r-a-f-i-n-i-t-v there you go and i'm at phil svitek um and yeah pretty simple so all all that stuff is linked to below as well so that way you can get to it and uh, don't have to remember if you didn't jot it down but thank you guys so much for joining us and hopefully you'll come back for The Invisible Woman. But if you want to skip, a month, you know, if, if you want to go to the one we do after that, whatever that may be, because we don't quite know, you know, join us. Join us for the books that you do read. So we're here. We're going to try so to much. switch it up with a lot of different genres, a lot of different types of authors. You know, Absolutely. we're not just like stuck to one particular thing. Absolutely. And we're going to try to go beyond just the classics. Yes. Absolutely. Bye.